Have you decided to go to the trial? That's the right thing to do, honey. Because you say it is. She has to pay for her incompetence. We need some justice here. No, you need. Why are you trying to disappear my kid? Because we don't have a kid. You have to face this. I am facing this. I am facing it. I am facing this. Hello and welcome to Step and Repeat, a weekly movies and awards show podcast by your two neighborhood friendly film buffs. I'm Andrew. And I'm Matt. And each week, Matt and I roll out the red carpet and step and repeat banner for our feature film of the week. This week, our top movie is Pieces of a Woman, uh, starring Vanessa Kirby, uh, Ellen Burstyn, uh, Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Very timely. <laughs> I know. Uh, and many other people. Actually, it's like quite a stack cast. Um, Please forgive me because I cannot pronounce the director's name or the writer's name. They're, they're a Hungarian couple, and it's very difficult to pronounce. <laughs> um, it's uh, Cornel Mandrusko. Thank you. Um, and uh, it is available on Netflix right now. So, you know, uh, it's a heavy drama about a... Boston couple uh, who's uh, who decide to have a home birth and the home birth goes horribly wrong and the uh, entire movie is like dealing with the aftermath of that. So, uh, so yeah, you know, happy stuff, but you know, not that anyone is, you know, in a happy mood these days <laughs> right now. So, yeah. so maybe fitting. Uh, I mean, maybe on a lighter note, um, uh, maybe we should do a, like a, what are you watching? You know, other than the insurrection, the, <laughs> yeah. because I mean that truth be told, that was most what I was watching all week. Literally what anyone's watching. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 uh, non coup related. Yes. Oh my. No coup. No coups. <laughs> and what are you watching? No coups here. Okay. So. All right. Matt, what are you watching? All right. Well, um, I guess I know we've talked about this a little bit, but thought I'd bring it up again since we've both finally finished it. It's been a while. The Mandalorian on Disney Plus. Finally, be able to talk about the ending. I know a lot of people were talking about that for a while, and I think we kind of missed it there missed the well because we had a lot of other stuff to talk about no, but yeah and yeah, it's Mangle. good uh, it's just good to um to be like a couple weeks removed from it and now we yeah have, yeah it. yeah and uh i think it's good to talk about it when it's not like entirely in the discourse and had some time to process so yeah. i just i guess i kind of want to chat a little bit about the ending because i know you've seen it and I really, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought the, I thought the final episodes were really good. They were really entertaining, fun to watch, and I, I hadn't gotten to the season finale yet until a couple of days after it aired, and I saw on Twitter that um, Mark Hamill said something about was there anything good on TV, and I was like, oh great. Of course, spoiler warning, spoiler warning, turn back now. Uh, but of course, Luke Skywalker makes cameo. And I kind of figured that, which is like, kind of makes me mad, like about Twitter. Like, like no one can keep anything a secret anymore. <laughs> Just like, it's it like wasn't even out, it wasn't even 24 hours until people were like talking about it. And I like didn't even purposely go to look for spoilers it just kind of popped up there i didn't even think about it. i didn't even think about it so but anyway uh i i still i still enjoyed the plot and the ending i thought i thought the graphics were a little weird i thought luke's face kind of looked like a snapchat filter i know they had to make him young i know he had to kind of look like it was recent return of the jedi but it 
the graphics didn't really do it for me. It was, it just kind of pulled me out. But everything else I thought was was good. I'm I'm excited for the future of the Mandalorian spinoffs in the series, and I guess it's confirmed that the new show, The Book of Boba Fett, which is which was announced in the end credits, is going to be its own show and not kind of a sequel to The Mandalorian. So, yeah. And I thought the I thought the uh, final battle with like Moff Gideon was really cool. I thought the dark stormtroopers were awesome and you know i think i mentioned it before but um again this feels like this is like the this is like what i wanted out of star wars like the new star wars and i'm glad we got it and i'm glad i'm glad we got to see this i think it's like one of the best star wars since well rogue one and empire and i'm glad they're doing you know something new and not just rehashing old stuff so yeah that's that's my thoughts (laughs) What do you think? Uh, it's it's funny you mentioned Rogue One because at the very end of the finale, uh, I was reminded of uh, Rogue One uh, when Luke uh, kind of comes on the ship and has like this rampage, but he's um, a masked figure. You don't know it's like Luke Skywalker at that point. And then he's like destroying all these drones and uh, you, uh, droids, sorry, wow, I just called them drones. Uh, and they, um, that reminded me of like the Darth Vader scene in Rogue One, where he goes rogue, for lack of a better term. Or he goes rogue. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, so I have, um, I have mostly positive feelings on the, um, on the finale. I, uh, it's like, it's very high energy. And it's it was high energy in the sense that it actually felt meaningful. I think sometimes when the Mandalorian gets like stuck in a rut, it's like they're off on a side planet where they're doing nothing and they solve a problem and his ship gets broken and then they have to get his ship fixed and then they have to fight people to get his ship fixed. And it's like it's like the same thing and I'm like I don't care <laughs> and <laughs> yeah I know so, I, I I get that I 100% get that yeah uh so where it's like this <clears throat> the finale I actually think the the second scene was really good I think it was um I think it was better than the first I think that that issue that I talked about was like way more um present in the first season I think the second season was way more focused so uh so I really liked that and appreciated that. Um, so the my downside, like my critique of it, is I don't like like this over reliance on the Skywalkers to carry the <laughs> to carry the Star Wars franchise. Like we just spent two seasons of the Mandalorian without much reference at all to any Skywalkers, if any, and it was just fine. It was a massive sort of hit. So it's kind of like, okay, like you've established that a non-Skywalker Star Wars brand can be popular. And then they just like brought in the Skywalker at like the very end to that too. So it's like, why? Like you didn't need to do that. Like they didn't need to. So yeah, I think it would have been more effective with we like weren't just coming off the sequel trilogy and the the Skywalker the continuation of the Skywalker story there. So I feel like it would have been like a different story. Then I guess Luke would have been more effective in the Mandalorian. But like again, it's you're right, it's Skywalker overload and we don't really need it anymore. I don't think anyone really wants it anymore. So but I guess like but fanboys were still going crazy online. So there's also that, which I'm like, okay. It's it part it of the problem, <laughs> I yeah. think. I think yeah. because fans are like, oh, we like these things. And I don't know. I love to eat Cheetos, but if I <laughs> eat Cheetos all the time, I'd be like 600 pounds. <laughs> it's like, and it's not good for you. So like doing all these things just because you like it doesn't necessarily mean it's like good for the end goal. Right, right. So, so I don't know. Uh, yeah. So rant on uh, 
the fans too much. So I don't want it. I mean, I probably shouldn't even touch Star Wars fans because <laughs> that could get you in trouble real quick. <laughs> yeah, you better be careful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I will bite my tongue for the most part. Um, anyway, uh, on that note, it was enjoyable. I liked it. I'm looking forward to the next season. However, I don't think we need a spinoff of every single character that the show produces, but I guess we're going to get it anyway. Um, I know, I know. I mean, we got enough from that Disney investor call. Like, there were literally, like, 30 TV shows that they announced. And then, like, the Mandalorian finale was, like, two days after that. Then it's like, and another one! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, DJ Khaled. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, that's how it went. Yeah. I it was so wild to like see that at the end. I was like, okay, I guess we're getting another Star Wars. Yeah, it's again, again, oversaturation, not as effective because we just got a ton of stuff. So it's like, okay, something else to look forward to. Stress out about and find time to watch. I know, and uh, not that I, not that it like bothers me too much, but it was a very strange thing at the very end to like announce a Bubba Fett TV show and have Bubba Fett play such a key role in the final, what, two, maybe three episodes. And um, the actor who played Bubba Fett in like the original trilogy, like just died. And I don't think there was like a tribute to him or anything like on the Mandalorian. I was just surprised. I was like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't see anything either. That yeah. Huh. Something to think about. I know. I mean, that's, I wonder why. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't like affect anything. It didn't like no. affect my enjoyment of the, the finale at all. But yeah. But like, my question is like, and last thing, and I'll get off of it. Why, why do we need a spinoff of a Bubba Fett? Why can't we just include him or his story in the next season of Mandalorian? Like it was an effective, it was an effective story to begin with. And I liked their relationship. And I, and I thought, I enjoyed Boba Fett in The Mandalorian. Why do we have to have another spinoff? Can't we just have him as part of the show? It's only been one season he's been in. Uh, yeah, and I ask myself these kinds of questions constantly. And uh, the answer is always, we don't have to. Uh, yeah. But the answer always uh, is M-O-N-E-Y. <laughs> I know. I, I, I answered it for myself. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Mid, like mid-question, we, so. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, so, no, I'm I'm with you, and I think ugh, it's just like frustrating because I don't want to feel the need to have to watch like all thirty shows. Like it's just overwhelming, and it, it's uh, it's like too much, where it like gives me anxiety. But um, t- Disney, uh, Bob Iger doesn't care about my anxiety as long as I keep giving him money, <laughs> and that you will be doing. Yeah, I know. And that's why it's like frustrating. So Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that that's enough of the Mandalorian Star Wars. We only get so much time for Star Wars Talk a Week. And yeah. we have we have hit the quota. So, Andrew, what are you watching? Uh I'll keep mine pretty brief. Uh so um I just want to follow up on last week when I said one of my New Year's resolutions was to watch like 2001 films. And I think the first film that I mentioned of a 2001 release that I hadn't seen was Spirited Away. And uh, earlier this week, like um, <laughs> pre the attack on the Capitol, uh, the, it was um, uh, Hayao Miyazaki's uh, birthday, like 80th birthday. And so I was like, oh, this is a perfect opportunity and like excuse to watch Spirited Away. So, um, so I kind of like took advantage of the moment and I like watched it uh, on his birthday because uh, uh, it's on HBO Max. All of like the Studio Ghibli movies are on HBO Max now. So, um, so I finally saw Spirited Away and I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's, um, I mean, like the animation is like incredible. And the um, the storyline's like really original. And one of the things that I think that I liked about Spirited Away, 
Uh, and maybe this is um, in all Studio Ghibli movies. I've never seen like um, My Neighbor uh, Totoro or anything, but uh, it was it was nice to see them like treat children kind of, not kind of, like as if they were adults uh, in a good way, um, in a sense like, they kind of like insulted the children a lot <laughs> in Spirited Away. And I feel like you don't see that in um, American movies that much. Uh, so unless they're like a super villain. So like even, uh, even like a supporting character who's an ally, like calls the main character in Spirited Away, like pathetic, <laughs> like multiple points. And uh, I, I just like, that kind of like uh, took me aback for a second because I was like, oh my God, I feel like you wouldn't see something like that in a uh, American movie that frequently. So um, so seeing stuff like that was refreshing. So uh, yeah, I, I very much enjoyed it. And um, like Japanese animation and like anime type uh, movies are a big blind spot for me. So I, hope to watch like more Studio Ghibli movies in the future while HBO Max still has them, <laughs> which I think they will for a while at least. It's crazy like, that it was like 20 years ago. Yeah, I know, like, wow. That was so, um, I haven't like done my super Oscar history, but 2001 was the first year that they gave an Academy Award for like feature length animated films so because it was the year of shrek and like shrek was this huge um like pop culture phenomenon and so like spirited away probably played like a role in that you know like uh in hindsight spirited away was probably the like uh the critics choice right the like the super high brow people probably like wanted wanted that and then um truck one <laughs> but uh but like the point being like the like 2001 was a big time for animation so um so yeah well, yeah well i think like from 95 yeah well um speaking of lighthearted disney comedies should we <laughs> move to our <laughs> movie of the week <laughs> Uh, well, I have now laughed uh, in more in the past, like, two minutes than I did the entire two hours on Pieces of Mormon. Well, I'm glad to be here to uh, entertain. Yeah, this is a capital D drama. Yeah, it's going to be a capital H heavy episode. Yeah. Um, I'm not uh, ready yeah. for it. Maybe maybe we'll provide some levity with our jokes somehow. Um, yeah. Oh God! But I don't know. I don't know what even there is to joke about. This is <laughs> not a laughing matter, Andrew. Yeah. Uh, I should have gotten a drink before this. I know. I was like thinking that too. I was like, oh my God, I should I should get a drink. I'm trying to do a dry January. Oh please! That I went know. out the window. That oh, went out the window sense. two days ago. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Uh, I know, I know, I should have. Um, I was like super upset too. Um, uh, also, I don't want to talk about necessarily too much about like the capital, but uh, uh, so like like everyone, I'm like trying to eat healthy in January because like post holidays, whatever, whatever. And uh, but um, on <laughs> Wednesday. I was like, so I don't have anything, like, I don't have any junk food in my apartment right now. And I like, all I wanted to do on Wednesday, I was like, I just want to stress eat. And I had nothing to stress eat. So I know, like, that was the, that was my biggest problem. <laughs> but you're telling me, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I'm devoid of Cheetos, as I mentioned. And, uh, alcohol at the moment i don't know how you do it <laughs> yeah. oh i mean it'll come back it's just uh it's just trying to do a uh for me january doesn't start until january 20th at 1201 p.m that's when 2021 starts for me so right now we're still in 2020 yeah. then maybe i'll start dry january i know 
I know, let, let us not forget though like um we actually did have one good day in 2021 so far the georgia elections were very successful so uh so like 2021 got off on the right foot it did not take long for that to go way south <laughs> yeah <laughs> not at all <laughs> but like we did have a couple good moments there <laughs> yeah too <laughs> yeah exactly uh okay um so uh, back to pieces of a woman spoiler alert should we say for uh offhand too um, i mean i think if you've seen the trailer you pretty much got the gist and you know what happens but yeah spoiler alert yeah i think um so spoiler alert from literally this sentence out because uh i think it's always strange because every description that I've read um, describes like this movie about like a childbirth that goes wrong or like ends in tragedy. And it's like, it, they're being like kind of super vague about it in like the descriptions and I'm like, what, like, what is it? And so here's a spoiler, like, the child dies so which like you could have guessed like when you read between the lines on those sentences like that's what you think it is but yes that's like exactly what happens i don't want to like be like super mysterious about it about anything that happens so and like the rest of the movie is like the them like grieving essentially so uh so yeah that is um that's like the biggest kind of like biggest spoiler, I think. Uh, but a spoiler that's not really a spoiler in my mind. Yeah, yeah. I'm sitting here counting out my 10 words or fewer while you're like explaining the spoilers. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I think I'm on the cusp. Okay, um, I'm, I'm close it, I'm close to 10. So I can't, I don't think I can lend you a couple words this time. I th I'm only at eight, so oh, I'm good okay. Go. I think I'm somewhere around there too. So yeah. I no, I'm at nine. Whoa. Um, do you want to go first, then, since you uh, you spent so uh, so much time on it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all of all of thirty eight seconds. Okay. <laughs> um. All right. So here's my ten words of fear. Strong acting, strong beginning. Everything else falls flat. Cool. Uh. Here's my 10 words or fewer. Worth it even just for Vanessa Kirby's burping scene. <laughs> <laughs> I remember there were like two scenes where I wanted to go back and like write down like my thoughts like that were like really funny and that was one of them. And the <laughs> other one <laughs> the other one was what she was telling her like I forgot I guess it was her like brother-in-law to like Fuck off. No, fuck off. Fuck off in yeah. front of her mom. Yeah. <laughs> I was like laughing so hard. <laughs> her brother-in-law, who is played by Benny Safty, by the way, like one of the Safty brothers, like directors of Uncut Gems. So, and like good time. So and that was like a surprise to see. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> burping <laughs> i know oh my god so she like burps like all throughout like the childbirth scene and it's like that that my friends is acting <laughs> it's like it's like pre-throw up burps like when you're like really drunk except she's not drunk she's like pregnant so yeah i know but like it, the reason the burping even stands out because like you rarely see burping on screen like anywhere which is like something that like everyone does that's mm. like, not used in like a comedy thing like i guess you could say the same thing for farting <laughs> so yeah like, i think it's just ever used for comedy i think it was just um vanessa kirby's excuse to show that she can burp on command i know me too i so we're 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 sisters together. Yes. You also can play a uh, nine-month pregnant woman and because you can burp on command as well. Yes, exactly. I'm, <laughs> I'm ready for it. Um, so, okay, yeah. So since we're talking about the, bur the birthing scene, I almost said burping again, but they're one and the same. Um, let's talk about it because I think that's like, that is 
that is the high point of the movie for sure. I don't think like anyone coming out of this does not think that's this is the best part of the movie. Um, it's like I didn't count or look it up, but I think it's something like twenty minutes, like a twenty minute um, one take, like mm-hmm. a single shot uh, of them birthing, and it's um, so it's is at home and um they have a midwife like come to like help deliver the baby like as like as was their wishes too and like progressively like it goes worse and you like get the sense of like things are going wrong but it's like also filled with these like moments of like really kind of like beautiful (laughs) moments too and it's like it's really intense uh and you're basically holding your breath the whole time and um after like the child dies i like gasped when you see the kid like and the the infant is like blue like violet and it's just like pure shock and uh and then um and then you see the title card pieces of a woman (laughs) like right after that too but um but the take, like, on top of, like, we always mentioned, like, Vanessa Kirby um, and Molly Parker uh, is another Netflix alum, uh, is the place, the midwife, uh, Eva, Ava, uh, and um, Vanessa Kirby plays Martha. But, uh, like, the take was, like, really good, too, because, like, a lot of times in these, like, one takes, you can see like where they kind of like cheat in a sort of way. Like think of like Birdman or 1917 where they like move in front of a wall or something. And it like, you kind of think that uh, like, you're like, oh yeah, yeah. That's where they uh, like, that's where they cut it. Like everything about this felt super natural in a sort of way. So, um, so I like to, I like the, um, the birthing scene. I don't think it's being overhyped at all. I think it's like really excellent. What do you think? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I thought the birthing scene was like it was very real, and I use this word a lot. It's uh, like very raw, and um, a lot of a lot of very uh, uh, I guess this isn't the right word, but cringeworthy moments, like stuff I did not want to see, like stuff I've never wanted to see, but very effective. Obviously, very effective. Um, I thought. Vanessa Kirby's acting in that one scene alone, like, was just like enough to get her nominated. Um, very harrowing, a lot to watch. And then, like, then like the so just some of the images you see, like when she's like laying on the bed and you see like the baby crowning. I'm like, whoa, hello. <laughs> like, um, again, not something I wanted to see, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you call it like a technical marvel. <laughs> technical achievement because like she's not really pregnant but i i don't know how they pull it off um but yeah definitely not overhyped at all i thought it was i thought it was really well done really really well acted um very powerful and like honestly the movie could have ended there maybe have a couple more scenes and i'd be like okay that was pretty good um unfortunately we had like about an hour and a half to go uh which like that's that's like where everything else fell flat for me so like I just felt like it started off really high and then just kind of like like the rest of the the mood and the tone just kind of went, hmm. like yeah i think um because i've been like thinking about this a lot too i think that's like in part uh intentional uh i think they like just like really wanted to have like this like really great sort of opening scene and that is like meant to carry the rest of the movie um but the problem is like there's a lot of like the, <laughs> there's a lot left to carry. <laughs> so yeah. like we're talking like a full feature like after that too. So so I don't think it's like it's I applaud them. I actually do applaud them because for having like the best scene in the movie be like really, really early on. Cause I don't think there are a lot of movies that are like that. So um so part of me like likes that, but the other part of me like completely understands that like everything that follows doesn't live up to what happens earlier yeah yeah also um really strong performance from molly parker in the beginning i yeah. thought she was incredible like i i wasn't i wasn't expecting that like i you hear about vanessa kirby and like shia labeouf but like molly parker i don't think got enough praise for that i thought she was amazing so 
Yeah, she's so good. Um, like Molly Parker is one of those um, character actresses who's good in everything <laughs> and good too. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't help. We've had this conversation at least uh, offline before. It doesn't help that she looks just like Julianne Nicholson. <laughs> and um, I wish like one of those two actresses like were bad because that would make them like more distinguishable <laughs> from each other. But they're like both really good actresses. <laughs> yeah. So, but. Yeah, yeah, I think um, I actually love Molly Parker at Lost in Space. I don't know if you watch it or not, um, but I think she's really good as the mom. Um, it's like what else is she? She's in, yeah, she's in House of Cards too, right? I know it's okay. Not to like drum the conspiracy theories, um, but it just like always blows my mind how many netflix stars like reappear in netflix movies um so this one isn't intentional um because like obviously vanessa kirby's on the crown molly parker's on like lost in space and house of cards um and so then they both start in this movie and then um netflix didn't um like produce this movie like they didn't produce the filming or anything so they only picked it up as a distributor after it premiered at the venice film festival where like vanessa kirby won best actress yeah Um, and so they picked it up after so it was never their intent to like their initial intent to bring it forward um but then it just happens to have two of their stars in it so um i i it's kind of like so do they make these decisions because they think it'll be good for the Netflix brand and they'll recognize like uh, Molly Parker, and Vanessa Kirby, and then they'll like watch it. Right. I don't know. So, but like, it's very suspicious of just like how many Netflix stars keep reappearing in more uh, Netflix material. Trying to make it a, the next studio system. I know. That's why it's like it's basically as close as you can get to that without it being illegal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder how they felt taking Shia LaBeouf away from Amazon. They well, like they're. <laughs> we can get into the Shia LaBeouf of it all, but um, <laughs> I, <yeah. laughs> I thought I'd make it like my whole life without having to see Shia LaBeouf's penis, and then like sure enough, that <laughs> I lost that battle. Uh. So he's like pretty much scrapped from any sort of um, like uh, campaign there. He's scrapped from any sort of awards campaign. Um, his, he's like not credited in the, like the title, like descriptions. Um, his name is still on the movie and he's obviously in the movie, but that is um, about it. <laughs> so, uh, it's um so he's kind of they're like removing him from the the situation as much uh as possible um because of uh the lawsuit that was brought for him for sexual assault and battery by fka twigs so um so yeah it it would have been more distracting if um his character like weren't such an asshole (laughs) so like um it it does make like certain scenes like pretty kind of like uncomfortable to watch like there's like a sex scene where like consent is some somewhat of an issue uh like halfway through the movie involving shia labeouf um and he's self-described as boorish so that like helps (laughs) like it helps that his character is not like is a little rough around the edges. Um, it meaning like it, it doesn't take you out of the movie as much as I thought it would like watching him on screen. So, um, so that was like my Shia LaBeouf experience. Yeah. For me, it was just like too fresh and too new. And it was very uncomfortable for me to watch and see him, especially like, that scene that one scene in particular and then the one scene where he like he like throws a ball at vanessa kirby like that was really hard to watch too and i'm like oh my god like this is too real like this is something is not right about this so 
I, I, I was like, very how, how much acting that. was going on here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't help but have that thought. So. Right. Yeah. So that doesn't like, um, uh, I that doesn't like hurt the movie in the sense of, um, <laughs> it's good that it's like his characters that way because it's, um, it, it just like heightens the uncomfortable feelings. So, which is like, I think they're like intended to feel uncomfortable. So, um, yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> Two hours are just, oh, God. Yeah. Um, the less that's said about Shia LaBeouf, probably the better. <laughs> so, yeah, really. <laughs> Let's just gloss over him like yeah. <laughs> everyone else is doing and then move on. So, um, so uh, before we talk about, so we touched on Molly Parker, we touched on him. Um, before we talk about Vanessa Kirby, because I want to talk about her, um, I really want to talk about Ellen Burson. Um, I thought I thought Ellen Burson's great, but like there's like no surprise there because Ellen Burson's always great. Um, I didn't understand though, and I this is going to sound really bad and really wrong. I didn't understand why the mom had to be so much older. Like, why didn't they choose a younger woman? Like, why did it have to be Ellen Burson? Um, that's just like a really weird random question. And I like was thinking about that the whole time because Vanessa Kirby in this is like, what, like 25, 26 and Ellen Burson's like clearly in her like late seventies, early eighties. I'm like, there's definitely an age gap there, but I mean, it's like not really something that needs to be explained. It's just a question I had. Um, but like her scenes, Ellen Burson scenes with Vanessa Kirby, there's a couple of them that are just like so amazing. And so, um, like Ellen Burson still got it. I love, her. I love Ellen Burson. She's um, she's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she um, the this could be a little bit of retconning. Um, but so Ellen Burson is fifty five years older than Vanessa Kirby, and um, so I don't know about like the casting, like what went on. But the one thing that I will say that crossed my mind in that front is if she's in theory playing 55 year older character than Martha, then that means like, if she's a 55 year old woman, she probably had a difficult birth, right? Birthing like Martha. So like there's that potential parallel. I don't know. I could just be making that up. Like that could just be my like sort of excuse for it all. So uh, that's, that's all I have to say <laughs> really about like the age difference. Um, yeah. Cause, cause there's a scene where I guess Martha is at her mom's house, Ellen, Ellen Burson's house, her mom. And her mom is Ellen Burson's telling her the story of how Martha was born and she was, how she was born in love or how, how uh, the mom was born, how Elizabeth was born um, and how she was born in like, was it, was it the ghetto? Was she saying it? she was born in like some kind of shack in in the ghetto, like so, in the Holocaust? Okay. Yeah, this yeah, this adds a little bit to one of my criticisms that I haven't gotten into a little bit. But oh, okay, sorry, I'm jumping the gun. No, 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 no. It ties. It's like it's a good segue. Um, it's like this movie is like melodramatic <laughs> and uh, post. Like I don't even think like the childbirth, like the child dying scene, like. That to me isn't like melodramatic if that is like the core of your movie. It's everything else that they like add on to. So it's like, oh yeah, by the way, the mom's a Holocaust survivor who has Alzheimer's, like, <laughs> or is like early onset Alzheimer's. So it's kind of like, wow, we're just like adding, adding everything horrible at the wall and <laughs> just like, just adding. <laughs> and, yeah. Oh, um, so it's like, oh my God, like what? She's a Holocaust survivor? <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, it's it's just, um, Ellen Burstyn's like great in that scene. And oh, by the way, that scene is like ad-libbed. Like she ad-libbed a lot of that. So I know. That's news to me. Wow. Uh, so Ellen Burstyn just like, that's like her Oscar scene, quote unquote, too. Um, though I'm not sure if she's in this movie enough uh, to like, necessarily get an Oscar nomination. Um, it's tough to say. Um, the supporting actress category is wide open. So it, it very well could happen. But um, 
anyway, so yeah, so that's my sort of like thing too. It's like, it didn't even occur to me, like that scene happens like at least an hour and a half into the movie. And it's just like, what? She's a Holocaust survivor? I didn't, I did not pick up on that until that moment. Like, did you, was that like a surprise to you too? Nope, I had no idea. I I was just sitting there wondering why is she so, why is she so old? <laughs> but then of course she's gotta be like, she's just gotta add that in. I wonder if like, I wonder if even like her character, like the, like the writer like meant for her character to be. <laughs> Holocaust survivor, Helen just kind of like surprised them. Like, I'm gonna ad lib this scene. Here you go. It <laughs> like, is fun. I know. So the like. Good luck. <laughs> the catch twenty two behind this all is the like. Oh, at least they're recognizing the age difference. Like, so like right. like they're being clear. It's like so that like puts a timestamp on like how old she can be. So. Yeah, yeah. It's like a good thing, but like that doesn't uh, take away at anything to um, at, like the movie itself. So yeah, yeah, and that, like that's really good. she also she also had like I guess an older sister, but still like that older sister wasn't like that much older. So that means she had like two kids in her late forties or early fifties. <laughs> like ooh, okay, more power to you. It's just like something weird that like threw me. I guess it just like threw me off, but um yeah, okay. <laughs> it's uh I like okay, so the character I, the frustrating part, this is like the frustrating part for the movie for me, is that like the character, um Ellen Burson's character, the mom, is somebody who's like interesting without this stuff. Like she's really good even without being a Holocaust survivor. Um, and she's like really good, even without having like early onset Alzheimer's or like they have to like make it so obvious, like like the dementia. And because like they only mention it in like one or two scenes. It's like, why? Like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you throwing this stuff? And then the same thing um, you see like with Sean, Martha's, partner um Shia LaBeouf and like you see his character like oh he's like a recovering addict and then like halfway through the movie he like relapses and then he like starts having sex starts having an affair with Martha's cousin like it's all this stuff it's just like I was like oh my god guys like come on just, just make it about the like purely about the like losing the baby like that that yeah. was for me <laughs> yeah i think that's why i think that's why the rest of the story kind of felt flat is because it was so much they were trying to cram so much and like i guess you know making it's it's supposed to be you know about like pieces of a woman that to me i thought it was going to be about like how this was solely going to be about vanessa kirby and how like this trauma was chipping away at her but like literally everyone else in her life has problems that they have to deal with too, which you could like literally make a whole other movie about. Um, so it was just, it was just too much. And the story just fell flat. I just, I just didn't think it could, it found its course. I didn't think it like stuck to its own like lane, even though I hate using, I hate that term, but um, it like, let's find a story and stick with it instead of going in 800 different directions, which is why I, Dead in my 10 words or fewer it had a strong beginning strong performances but the rest of the movie just fell flat for me so so all of this like all that stuff i think for me is what makes vanessa kirby's performance like really good like really mm -hmm. good because um all this like melodramatic stuff is like happening around her meaning that all these other characters have lives of themselves that are collapsing and um and Martha is like pretty much in her own world throughout all of this. Um, and you're still rooting for Martha, like the whole movie. You're kind of like, so when, um, like when her uh, mom has like uh, dementia signs and like her sister's getting on her case of like not being there like for her mom, I'm like, 
she's like looking out for herself right now. <laughs> so like I'm like constantly on Martha's side, like throughout the whole movie. So um, I think that's like a really, I think that's in the testament to like Vanessa Kirby's performance of like, I want to like root for Martha this whole time. I am not mad at her for like not paying attention to her mom or like all these other things that are like mm -hmm. happening around her because like, I want to root for her. So yeah. I think that's like, a, I mean, that's what you want out of a performance, out of a lead performance. So yeah. yeah. So like, yeah. And so on top of like all of this, like melodrama going on and Vanessa Kirby's amazing performance, you have Ellen Burstyn, Elizabeth, pressuring Martha the entire time to sue Molly Parker, the midwife, who, you know, Elizabeth claims that killed, who killed, killed the baby. Like it was her fault somehow. And the one, the one thing that I was kind of like pushed and pulled on, you know, which is touched on in the movie. And I'm, I am constantly rooting for Vanessa Kirby, but it wasn't the midwife's fault. It was no one's fault. You know, it was, it was the fact that Vanessa Kirby chose to have a home birth and things went wrong. Things go wrong during childbirth. And the fact that Elizabeth is trying to find someone to blame was like really, really, really frustrating for me. And um, I was like, it made me hate Elizabeth so much. But like, I was so afraid that Martha was gonna give in to her and was actually going to sue her and was actually going to get Molly Parker in trouble. And like the end, so spoiler alert, the end, like there's this trial scene, right? It's the, they go to trial and I think Vanessa Kirby gives like, like her best performances in this movie come at the beginning and the end. And I think the end, there's a scene uh, where Martha just kind of gives in and says like, you know what, like she's on the stand and then she's kind of like giving it to her mom and saying how, how she thinks like the midwife, it was her fault. And then she leaves, she takes a recess from the court and then comes back and says, pretty much says her truth and says like, you know, this wasn't her fault. This wasn't the midwife's fault. You know, we, we knew what the risks were. We knew what we were getting into and um, the baby died on its own. And I think that monologue at the end where she's addressing the court and addressing the jury, I think was so harrowing. Um, and I thought that was like, that was like grade A acting. So um, yeah, I think her, I think, I think the best performances come in, in these monologue scenes and these big like long speeches. And that comes when, um, from the two people, from Vanessa Kirby and from um, Ellen Burstyn, when they are kind of going off from these monologues. And I think it's it's really great. It's really, I, I, I actually did really like the ending. And uh, Molly Parker's expression the entire time in the courtroom, like, like really also made me fall, like really feel bad for her character. And like, I, I was like kind of tearing up uh, watching her and, I felt really, really bad for her the entire time. So, um, so yeah, that's that's kind of my take on. Yeah, on really, it's really interesting too because, um, like, they like no one kind of argues that it was was Eva's like intentional fault. I think it's like it's more about the the negligence aspect, uh, and um, you don't because of the way that the opening scene is shot you don't ever have like an insight as to like what eva like may have been thinking you can like maybe see her expressions so like so to say so to answer your question like we can never know like as a viewer like who is quote-unquote responsible um so uh uh, does anyone like like does anyone even need to be responsible you know like it 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 happens like it happens during birth during home birth like those are the those are the risks you take when you don't go to the hospital and i i really don't think like i really don't think there was a point in finding responsibility like so like finding that someone was responsible for this um i felt this movie was more about the grief and the anger and the frustration with losing a child rather than blaming someone for it um but I guess if that if if the movie needs to make that part of their grieving process and like the the process of going through it, then I guess more power to it. But I I, I that's not the right direction. I don't I think I would have taken. 
So I took the, like, um, I am not a lawyer, but I took the, the trial to be part of like a criminal trial. So like, meaning like, it was more or less like out of like Martha's and Sean's hands. And the mom was like also pushing for a civil trial to get like some sort of like compensation. So like there are two sort of, there are two sort of things going on like at, at the moment. And you never find out if they're like, um, if she's gonna be fine, if um, the midwife is gonna uh, be found uh, uh, guilty or not guilty. And, but like, it's heavily implied throughout the movie that she will be found guilty. So, but um, kind of like at the end, my sort of, what I thought was that like, it was like a sort of uh, forgiveness, like speech. And so like the implication being like, I'm not going to pursue civil action. So that was, that was my sort of takeaway. I, um, it wasn't like super, super clear, um, but like if there were like ongoing, um, if there was like a civil trial and a criminal trial um, parallel to, but um, I could be just like completely wrong on that. So lawyer, <laughs> lawyer listeners, please uh, correct me if you <laughs> saw this in the wrong. Uh, so that was another thing about the trial that I thought was a little melodramatic is like, this was kind of like the trial of the century. And it was like on the TV and like the cabs and stuff. And it was like, okay, can we like make this just like a little bit more uh, personal and not so like huge of an event? Uh, yeah, like we just got off like the trial of the century from like the undoing, you know, like we've already seen <laughs> the trial of the century. Now we got to see another one yeah so the trials of the century you're gonna have exactly exactly um and another thing like the first instance i think of like melodrama and this is um just a sort of hackneyed thing in screenwriting i think is um at the very beginning eva the midwife wasn't their like midwife of choice because the other midwife like was in uh like in another labor, like how many childbirthing scenes, like in the history of cinema, like is the doctor that they ordered or like wanted actually there, <laughs> like all the time, like the doctor or the like delivery specialist is somewhere else. Like it's never the one, it's just like added drama. It's just like a pet peeve of mine that you see a lot in, in movies, so. Yeah, it's like all these like, shows even like these shows about like doctors like it's always and lawyers too it's so melodramatic like come on yeah so i that was just like just like there's a little x there's extra fat on this movie yeah like it can be trimmed yeah like why couldn't like eva just be like the nurse they wanted and like just, i know like how would that have changed anything it wouldn't have yeah yeah it's just it's just kind of like it's not lazy screenwriting but it's just like kind of weird screenwriting to me it's like but yeah, I, I think they just like add too much, too much into it, and that's where it goes like a little bit south. Um, yeah, I agreed. I think Vanessa Kirby's a shoe in for a nomination for Best Actress. So yes, I would have said um, like shoe in for win, but I don't. I'm not sure anymore. Especially after I don't know if like Shia LaBeouf's gonna hurt her or not. But it doesn't seem to be like, at least in the uh, the movies um, or like in the interviews that I've seen. So um, like everyone seems to kind of like understand it all, <laughs> like uh, and like rightfully so that people aren't really the talent involved isn't really talking about it that much. So um, but like, yes, I don't think that helps the movie so to speak <laughs> yeah yeah um i don't know i think i really think carrie mulligan <laughs> is gonna give her a run for her money um for promising very excited yeah i am well i haven't seen um promising young woman yet but i'm very excited too uh yeah. 
I like I'm like so far like pretty okay with whoever wins best actress right now because like it's Vanessa Kirby um uh you could see Francis McDormand for Nomadland um the biggest issue with Francis McDormand though is that she just won three years ago and uh it is it would be her third win so like it's just a lot um so you could see like an instance where that might not sort of catch on um and uh Viola Davis uh who hasn't won for best actress at least so uh so there's like an effort there and she's in a more well-liked movie than like Pieces of Woman. If Pieces of Woman gets nominated, it's only gonna be Vanessa Kirby and maybe Ellen Burstyn. So um, it's always more difficult to win for a movie where you're the um, like the only like nomination or one of like only a couple nominations. But curiously, this happens a lot in the best actress category. <laughs> like Judy won last year. <laughs> so like Renee Zellweger won last year too. So like it's just like trends that happens in best actress and like not many of the other acting categories. It's like very strange to me. Um, you know what I'm sitting here thinking as you're like talking about these actresses? I'm like, we're gonna have another Oscar so white thing on our hands oh no i mean i don't i, I mean like viola I davis really is like not. viola davis is like the only actress you mentioned like actress of color oh i mean like, only this is only in the best actress like category yeah in, in the best actor category there's like an instance in the best actor category where they're like potentially like either one or uh, i think anthony hopkins will get nominated like there's potentially one uh, white man in the best actor category because in best mm -hmm. actor you could also you could reasonably see I think we expect Chadwick Boseman, um, Riz Ahmed, Delroy Lindo, and Steven Young like our other top contenders like that yeah. that plus Anthony Hopkins for the father like that could easily easily be the the top five so yeah I remember there being talked to a little bit of talk of um, Idris Elba for midnight or concrete cowboy but like it's uh, still coming out <laughs> it didn't get it doesn't have a qualifying run so um maybe maybe next year but yeah 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 i think yeah so um yeah we'll see yeah so um yeah i don't think i hope not if so they're like we they need some even more massive reforms if this year is another oscar so wait here <laughs> yeah um so but um but yeah like best actress is um it's not a done deal like any anything could happen who's gonna win so right now yeah <laughs> but no, i'm sure oscar, in a month it'll be like i know locked up oscars are still like four months away or three months away not four but uh, i know oh it's so long oh last year we had oscars in february well yeah. We got spoiled. I know. I, but, like, at this point last year, we would have had, like, way more nominations. Like, the Golden Globe nominations don't come out until the end of this month, I think. I know. It's crazy. I'm, I'm like, sitting yeah. here thinking, when it, where's my Golden Globes? Oh, this, like, probably would have been the Golden Globes weekend, now that I think about it. Yeah, but Golden Globes aren't even going to be fun this year, because no one's going to be, like, drunk. I know. And <laughs> so they're, like, not going to be fun to watch. Um, also, because literally one in 10 people in Los Angeles have COVID right now. Uh, so they're like postponing everything, rightfully so. And, uh, but like, it's a shame because like Golden Globes are gonna have like more power than they usually do because of the delayed Oscar season. So um, all of like the talk that we talk about, um, like the Golden Globes sucking uh, from like a pure like non-entertainment standpoint, like uh uh just like from a power standpoint like this year they're even gonna have more power and more say so uh yeah can we just like start a hashtag or a trend like cancel the globes um i mean i still like want to see this stuff they can do like the virtual stuff i thought the emmys were really good so but like um that's like, more i'm thinking like for the oscars but uh the best part of the globes is the 
drunken shapades. Uh, yeah. Raids, I don't know why I said that. The drunken shapades, yeah. Uh, it's not even a word. <laughs> no. No. Yeah, I I would be like happy if like we just just cancel them. Like I'm like I'm good this year with them. So. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, we have, like, no idea, like, how things are going to shape up. Like, we call the Globes, like, a precursor award, for, like, for that um, reason, but, like, we don't even know what the nominees are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then we have this, like, um, like, we have this issue with Minari, too, which, like, should not even be an issue, but, like, of course, an award show is making it an issue, so. Yeah, this is, um, like... Um, part of like a long, unfortunately, a long-standing thing um, that I think sooner rather than later, like award shows are going to have to contend with. Um, like, so Minari is, the Golden Globes have ruled Minari ineligible to compete in like the best picture categories and only in the best foreign language film categories. Um, because it's like mostly in Korean, but um, it's like this movie, the entirety of the movie takes place in America. So it's like the implication there being like, oh, like speaking foreign, like f a foreign language, like equates to not American. Um, yeah. And this, it's just like a problem because like, Inglorious Bastards, which I think won the Golden Globe, um, is literally only like 30% in English. <laughs> so um, it's like, it's like, oh, well, like you're kind of just uh, picking and choosing which ones you <laughs> don't want to apply. And guess what? The ones that you are choosing that um, aren't quote unquote American are the non-white ones. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah. I and like this is like the Hollywood foreign press. I don't. Know. Um, I had a thought. Oh, what did they? I, I cannot remember. What did they do with Parasite? What that was only foreign language too, right? Yeah, that was only foreign language too. Um, so, the Oscars. Um, the Oscars redid their category last year. Last year was the first year that they retitled the category international feature film instead of. Um, best uh, foreign language film. So mm. it's they're basically the broader thing is like everyone's trying to come to terms with more of an uh, a globalized film like globalized film uh, world. So uh, and like how to like reckon with that for like things that were existing for a long time, like the Oscars and the Golden Globes too. So sure. so the Oscars are at least. I mean, the international feature, the category itself isn't still like necessarily perfect, but um, but like I think that's that's a step in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. Once again, proving why the Globes are just awful. Yeah, I won't be surprised if like the Globes just like completely stop in the next twenty years. It's not going to happen anytime soon. But um, as like more and more of these things like continue and continue to happen, uh, I would be surprised if they just like end. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I I still see a lot of money in advertising and fashion in the Globes, but for the awards purposes, like I don't see a point. Much more of a point anymore. So. Yeah. It's also it's like because there's like nothing yet to compete with the Globes. Like there's nothing in line to like take the Globes place. As mm -hmm. Like the second most prestigious thing. The Globes are always like the second most prestigious. Like a movie actor would rather have an Oscar and a TV actor would rather have an Emmy. Like that simple. Exactly. All right. So uh, I think we veered off course enough. <laughs> true, uh, true that. Do you have any more to say on pieces of a woman? Uh, no, I um, all this like said, I um, I still found myself thinking about it a lot, and all my like issues with it, it still resonated with me um, long enough to be mostly positive on it. Yeah, yeah, I think um, my final say is that like 
great A acting, great acting. Everything else just, like I said, kind of falls flat. <laughs> so, um, all right. Well, uh, Andrew, do you want to tell, unless I'm missing anything, do you want to tell our loyal listeners what they have in store for them next week? Oh, yeah. Um, unless we decide to change anything or if you... Um, get mad at us <laughs> for our selections uh we're gonna do a double feature next week one of our rare episodes where we do like two and we try to keep each one like as brief as possible <laughs> uh and um, so it so in other words it's gonna be a really long episode oh my god i know <laughs> especially with our with our uh, content it's uh we have uh two movies next week so the first movie that um we have is Promising Young Woman, which uh, we just mentioned with Carrie Mulligan. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> it is finally hitting uh, video on demand on uh, January 15th. And it's yeah, been in theaters since Christmas. Uh, but like, this is the chance like for the masses, quote unquote, to see it. Uh, which, uh, so I most certainly will be watching. This is, I've been looking forward to this movie for a full year. Um, so I finally, finally will get to see Promising a Woman. And if you rent it too, you can always like send us your review ahead of time. Uh, uh, and... We're not there yet. That is my job. <laughs> True. Sorry <laughs> to, to step on your feet there. Um, and the second part of our double feature is One Night in Miami the directorial debut from Regina King, uh, which is uh, streaming on Amazon Prime this weekend. Uh, I think it's also like, it's also in theaters, like probably like five, <laughs> like throughout the country. It's been since like late December, but, um, uh, but it's finally also like hitting everybody else too. So, uh, so we will be able to cover, um, cover that as well like really looking forward to, to talking about both of these it's like there's uh it's gonna be a star-studded star-studded event yes we'll roll out the red carpet i'm excited yes. Me too. looking forward to it all right well thank you for giving us that little preview and thank you to our loyal listeners listeners for tuning in um so that's it from us but we'd love to hear more from you and let us so let us know what you think of the podcast and what you thought of Pieces of a Woman now available on Netflix, if you got a chance to watch. Um, you can always reach us on our uh, social media handles. We are at uh, Repeat Step Pod on Twitter and Facebook.com, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Step and Repeat Pod. Um, we have not been banned yet, unlike some people. Um, or oh. <laughs> Sorry. Mic drop. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Um, you can always also send us an email at stephanrepeatpod at gmail.com. And another app we have not been banned from yet is Letterboxd. Uh, Andrew is at A Shine, and I am at mgrant1219. And um, you know what? I'm not even going to say it this week. You know what to do. Re rate and review us. You, you know we'll give you a 60-second review. But you haven't done it yet. <laughs> So let us know when you rate and review us because we really want to give your movies a review. Um, so until next time, hopefully the world will be a little bit brighter of a place this time next week. Um, and I think I speak for Andrew when I say it's an honor just to be considered. <laughs>